Brian, your lunatic friend. I call my last episode Approaching Mercy, and I covered the first seven songs on that record, mostly the upbeat songs and the clever lyrics, and it's interesting that I put off talking about these next three songs. I've saved a lot of money writing songs about things that I'm trying to work through, but then I've spent a lot of money too, and I have no problem recommending counseling for anyone. It's absolutely insightful, and it's good to hear yourself talk about what you're dealing with. But just singing about the way things make you feel only paints half a picture. Sure, you can't heal what you can't feel, but you still have to deal with it. And here's where most of us go off the rails. I call it finding the wrong coping mechanisms. One of the best examples I can think of is going to the bar because you just love hearing the band sing I Can't Make You Love Me If You Don't. And would you look at there, they've got just the right medication for you to ease the pain. And it kind of works for a while, but there's a dozen other things that start going sideways as a result of alcohol. But then that's not the only thing. You can blame everything on anything. But in the end, it's called self-medicating. And I mention that because that is how I could sing songs about my faith and about my feelings and still have a problem. And not only could I not fix myself, but I couldn't fix the people who were listening to my songs. I was meeting people that were going through things that I had absolutely no experience with. And sometimes my little Christian taglines felt like band-aids. And there were holes in my faith in the power of God, at least to do what I wanted. And maybe I didn't trust what he would do for others either. I was mostly just just writing songs based on the instruction manual that I had been reading for my whole life. I hadn't faced any real deep sorrow myself, so I wasn't ready for the summer of 1992. I had two sons in grade school. One was 11 and the other was 7. And they had a friend named Joel. His family lived a few miles from us. We'd had him over for a barbecue once or twice. And Joel would come over on the weekends sometimes and play with my kids. And it was late May when the school let out for the summer. And the Lamberts were all at home on the porch in the late afternoon the day school was out. And they had agreed to let Joel spend the night at someone else's house, and they told Joel, before we take you, just run across the street and get the mail. It was something he did all the time. In his excitement for summer vacation, he darted across the street, grabbed the mail, and turning to come back, he stepped right into the path of a van. He was killed instantly, and his parents saw it happen. A few years later, I would write the lyrics, words are wasted before a broken heart, but at the time, it was dumbfounding. I didn't know what to say to them, and I didn't even know what to do with my feelings. Yeah, there was deep sorrow, but there was also an overwhelming fear that even when you keep your kids close, you can still not protect them from everything. So when I wrote the song, You Don't Leave Me Lonely, this was the story behind it. But when I started writing this, I was keenly aware that it wouldn't be the last sorrow that I would experience in my life. For one thing, this wasn't even my sorrow. And that's why when I write songs, I try to imagine what it would be like for someone else. So I would start singing, I know you had to leave us for heaven, it's alright. The living here ain't easy to take now, but it's alright. Don't matter, cuz, I won't ever lose the joy you've given me. Just wish I could have told you so, just once before God set you free. This song would get a lot of airplay, it just figures, because everybody has sorrows. It would be a national number one song, along with four others from this record. And while I was touring this, I would get at least four or five letters a week from people who had lost children. I would give the Lamberts a copy of that song. It was mounted on a plaque saying, dedicated to Joel Lambert. And I shared with them a little bit about how the impact of their tragedy did not go wasted. Several years later, I would run into Cecilia Lambert, Joel's mom, and ask her how she was doing. I still miss him every day, she said. And I see boys all the time that would be his age if he was still here. And while I was still writing songs for the Mercy Project, I would lose my grandmother, Anna Forney. She was a matriarch of all time, had 120 grandkids, and never missed sending a card to every one of them on their birthdays. It was a little more expected when she passed away. 
away. But in thinking of her, I would write the song, I'll Not Forget You. I would think of the stories of Abraham and Sarah, eventually grandparents of the whole world. And in thinking about them as I compared them to my grandparents, I thought how long those promises took to be fulfilled. And they likely didn't see a lot of it. I would sing Sarah's waiting in a crown of silver hair, maternal heart still aching, and Abraham is marking time as years go by, hiding his pain in laughter, and every night he's counting stars that fill the sky, so sure his dream has passed him by. But the longer I worked on this song, the more the focus changed. Originally it was about waiting on God's promise, but the more I thought about it, at least for me, was that waiting for the promise wasn't the hard part. It was feeling like you might have been forgotten, and it dawned on me that the search for significance is a greater theme than waiting for a promise. I would think about a lot of things when I was writing this song. It seemed like it took forever. But one thing I remember was taking notes on what people say around people who are suffering a tragedy. In our own nervousness, we try to fill in the emptiness with little catchphrases that feel like filler when you can't find anything else to say. Things that when you think about it probably don't mean a lot to someone who is suffering a loss. He's in a better place. They'll be looking down on us from heaven. Doesn't really speak to a person's grief. And to me, even saying, I'm sorry for your loss, sounds hollow. At least to me. Because in my own thought process, I think that I'm trying to assure myself that there's something good about this. This is the one time when God has everyone's attention, and most of us are trying to avoid it, the fact that this life is temporary. But because of these stories and this song, I would discipline myself in the future to know how to act around someone who is grieving. I acknowledge them, and I usually don't say anything else. And yeah, it's hard for me to not say anything, but I'm getting better at it because I'm getting more practice being around people who are grieving. But I would also take notes when Cecilia said the worst thing about losing her son is that nobody mentions his name now like it's gonna set me off and then I start feeling like he was never here. So I guess the best thing you can do is ask for wisdom from God and walk in the light as he is in the light. But still, in those early moments, I think no words is best. But in my compassion for others, I would write a song about that too. It was simply called Faithful to You and it was easy to write. Actually, it was kind of like me rehearsing what I would say to someone who was grieving. Finally caught me at a loss for words. I never thought I'd see the day. Can't imagine what you're going through. There's not a single thing to say. You wouldn't fix it anyway. You know that sometimes this life's not fair. And when I say, but come what may, my heart will stay faithful to you. I'm singing to two people. Someone who's grieving, who needs someone to stand by them without sermons. But it's a recommitment to me too, to know that I need to stay faithful to Jesus because we all get to meet him in person. This has been Jesus and Music from my perspective. Here on Nutshell Sermons, sorry there's nothing to laugh about in this one, but sometimes it's our sadness that helps us recognize euphoria later. And thanks for supporting what you feel has value. I certainly appreciate your appreciation.